Good morning. This is Gaming Perspectives with Saul Angeline. And today we're talking about being a paid GM or something like that. No, it's more like does being paid to GM change the way you run the game? Okay, much better. I I I was confused by the topic. So there is a question out there that kind of in the web sphere. At the sphere? The internetosphere <laughs> on the internets anyway so it's uh the question is is a gm a player in the game now this stems from the idea that there was a question another question that said asked if being paid or not paid as a gm changed the way you gm and and this this question that this other person asked about about is is a gm a player I, at first i was like well that duh right of course a a GM is a player in the game. Well, by that, do you mean that a a GM is sometimes a player in the game, or as the GM, he's a player in the game? As a GM, is he playing in the game? That's you just answered my question with a question. No, no, I mean that's the answer. As a as a GM, if you're a GM, are you playing in the game? Are you a player in the game? And it, to me, it seemed like, well, of course, you're playing in the game. You're part of the game, so you are playing. In the game. But you're not really a player in the game. You're running the game. You're in charge of everything. You're the 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 judge of what people are saying. The referee, so to speak. Yeah. At, yeah. And I think as simple as I thought this answering that question was, I thought it was it was getting more difficult as as I saw post people talking about being a GM and whether they're a player, whether they're outside the game because they're controlling the environment and everything else. Once one person simply said, I'm, of course I'm playing in the game. I'm in every scene. That's a little <laughs> egotistical. But he's saying that he is in every scene because not only is he describing the, the environment that they're in, but he's playing NPCs and he's controlling uh, adversaries of the players. I would argue that that is part of running the game. Yes. You present the scene to the people and then you allow the character, the players, the char- player characters to go with it, right? Versus you're not just telling them a story like this is the book I'm writing here, this is what's going to happen and they're just along for the ride. Yeah, I think you're right. But that I don't think that makes them not playing in the game, but I don't know. It's it was a weird it was a weird post that this person put, and it got me thinking. Just it went down that rabbit hole. Well, is a player a player? Is a GM a player? How come we cannot be a player? This is why the topic was confusing to Jolene yes. because I went. I thought we were talking about paid GMs, so that's what I looked up. <laughs> well, another thing is, is this was a post on a forum on face Facebook, and of course people read the question and sometimes don't they think they are asking a, diff, a different question than they're or they answer the question they really want to answer versus what the actual question is there's there's that too so it was a the the answers were very varied right and the, and there was this one person that posted that wrote that he didn't like the term playing or play because he said 
that as a GM, you're you're doing more than just playing. You're creating, you're figuring things out. You're in, gonna try to entertain the other players, and it's it's a bigger role and it's a bigger job. And that by saying playing, a lot of people think it's just like. It doesn't encapsulate everything that a GM is doing and has to do to have a successful game. That that goes back to like <laughs> when you tell somebody when somebody at work asks you what you're doing on the weekend and you say, "Oh, me and my friends are getting together and we're going to play tabletop role playing okay. game or or we're going to play a game." Right. And then they're like, "Oh, how old are you? Uh, what kind of game are you playing? What are you doing? Monopoly?" I use that voice because that's the way they sound to me. <laughs> Because they have no clue as to what you're doing, right? Right. And they think when you say you have a bad connotation or denotation of, of playing, that's right. where it comes from. That's right. where, where the it's idea kids. comes from. Yeah. Right. Like, like it's not a real, like, oh, okay, whatever. It's not an adult thing to do. Because it? you don't usually say, oh, we're doing role playing because then some More people, questions come up. Yeah. Like, like, excuse what me? What are you talking about? <laughs> Yes, I think that is one reason I had kept it not a secret, but I didn't I didn't advertise what I did for years and years, right? I just like oh, I'm going camping with my brother when I'd go on a to DunderCon to a convention, which I thought was the strangest the strangest thing to say because DunderCon is in February. Who wants to go camping in February unless you're crazy and want to be cold and rainy because usually rains or yeah rainy anyway. or snowy or back in the old days before times <laughs> no it just who knows what's gonna happen but usually it used to rain that weekend but now it only rains everyone so that's where you had the the bad connotation about playing yeah i think so you're right but at some point i don't know when it was exactly i just didn't care about people knowing that I, what i did it was with age once you hit a certain age, you didn't care anymore. And now I to proudly promote everything I do. I tell them where they go. Oh, they go. Oh, and the people already know at work. I mean, I work with these people, with these people for, at the particular place I'm at, 12 years. So, like, they know, oh, yeah, yeah, Saul plays those games, those games. And they've actually heard about it, right? Right. Now. So, some of them. Some of them. Some of them, some of them Yeah, some of them in caves, I think. <laughs> right, because they don't know about like critical role and stuff. Like they're like Dungeons and Dragons. What's that? <laughs> you have no clue what that is. I mean, I find it difficult. Anyway, uh, to perceive that there's no knowledge of that. So as I went that down rabbit hole was is the GM a player? I I I thought about defining terms and coming up with stuff, but I, I didn't want to like this make this discussion even more complicated than it had to be. Which is good because. When he said paid GMs, that's what I looked up. And there are some interesting ideas out there. So the actual question was, was if you're a paid GM, how would it change your, your playing style? Or would it change the way you run a game? Right. Would it change the way you run the game? Right. Well, I came across this article from 2006 or some kind of Reddit post or something. From, wow. That's a, from 2006. About, a while ago these guys that the idea that they wanted to pay a GM to run a game for them once a week for six to eight hours and they wanted to know how much they should they should pay him and then they they define what the running the game is right they wanted miniatures when needed maps 
secret letters to each other. right. Totally fleshed out NPCs. So everything that a... A A world created... Well, no, they wanted to run. They were they the world. Oh, they wanted to pick the world. Yeah, they like like they were talking about three point five at the time. Right. And I was thinking, well, that's what a GM does anyway. But they, <laughs> I think they wanted it more on a a professional level, right? Like a like he's going to devote. He, and and the guy even said, well, maybe he can't have a full time job if he's doing this. So we need to pay him. How much do you pay somebody who is going to be doing this as as their job and I'm like going well and then the answers varied from you should I would make you pay me $50 an hour if you wanted that to I would do it for minimum wage and gas money to $10 Canadian because that's all I know and I don't know what that means just I'm just saying that I don't know like $7 an hour and 2006 that was a while ago not 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 a huge long time ago 14 years or so yeah so that but that was oh. that was when the question was back then, right? And now I know that there are actual paid GMs, right? And how do they do it differently than than say Saul, who gets a preps a game for a convention, right? And he puts a lot of time and energy. I would say probably a good forty hours into getting it ready. Yeah, of course, probably. he spreads it out. Yeah, I do spread it out, and it's and it's not like you know committed hours. If I was more organized, it probably cut that into like at least half the time, half twenty hours probably. Uh, but it, it's I do so much haphazardly, or uh, with not a lot of time commitment. Like I'm going to devote these next two hours to doing what I got to do. I do a little bit here, a little bit there. Oh, I got an idea, a little bit here. So it is about 40 hours of just for and that's for like a four to six hour game or a six to eight right, hour game right, right. I, w- I usually plan for a six hour game but i can never get my timing right and like i'm like sometimes it takes sometimes the players run right through the game and sometimes they're like they get stalled and i'm like man so if you were being paid for that then that would be an issue you would have to make sure you had extra material Right. To be able to extend it if they were running through your stuff really fast, right? Well, yeah, but th- that guy's talking about a campaign, right? So the yeah. campaign is something that's long-term. and Six to eight hours a week for a campaign? Oh, my God. That's, that's, that's what we used to do. I know, but that's a long, I mean. Yeah, if it's D&D, a throwing week, a every battles, week. it's done. Well, yeah. Well, <laughs> and I find it interesting. And then the other the other people, more more recent articles on Reddit and the inner tubes, as Saul would say. They were talking about if I'm going to be paying somebody twenty dollars to run for a game session, it better be very good. It better entertain me the whole time. And I'm like, wow, that's the way you're going into it. I would, I wouldn't want you to pay me for that, right? I would, I that that's a lot of pressure to be able to, right, to be able to deal with that kind of uh, expectation. Yeah. And the weird thing is, is uh, there's a couple of things. Uh, one of my friend Mike, uh, when I was on vacation, I, I visited Portland and, and Washougal, Washington, uh, where my brother lived. And Mike was really interested in this whole pay GMing thing. Like he goes, "Why do people do it? Who would pay for it? How much would they pay?" And I'm like, "I go, I don't know the answers to those questions." Well, I can see it like as like if it was a game store offering a game, and they want to right incentivize a person to to run the game for people maybe maybe charge like five dollars a person for a four to six hour game right. or whatever 
but then and the difference would be right they would really prep the game right if they're if they're running pathfinder or whatever you would want to have a mat out you'd want to have maybe i don't know i don't know what what would you do you would make sure everything was was planned out but then it might be a little railroady i don't know well okay so you're right when i was running at gen gen con when i was i've never been to gen con sorry when i was running at legends and I was GMing there. They wanted me to charge $5 per person. Right. right? And then they would give me that credit for the store so I can buy stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you don't have to charge my players so I can spend money at the game store because they're going to buy me stuff usually. And they did. They would buy me the, like, I got all the Pathfinder monster manuals until we stopped playing Pathfinder. And they go, well, it's part of the policy, right, or whatever. I go, and okay. I think that the owner of the store, um, Mel, said that it was more like you're trying to get the people who are coming into the store, they're paying to play in the game, and it was more of an incentive to make the player take it seriously. Yes, that was which, the deal. Which I thought was an interesting thing, and I think once he realized that the people playing in Saul's game were his kids and his friend's right. kids and, and his friend and we all would buy stuff in the store anyway. Yes. It was a... It stopped. They started charging. He didn't care. But yeah. the idea was that if you're running a game for these kids, if they're paying the $5 per game, that they are actually going to take it seriously and show up and play, right? Right. And that's what I call that. I called it Pathfinder for Kids and because that's what it was billed as. Right. And because my son was a kid... At the time, he was 10, 12. And 9, 10. Yeah, and, and his friend was 9 and 10. Yeah. And they had an elder brother, and then they had Steve, the, the, their father. And then we added Jolene. And then our and then Kevin, our friend Kevin, his son came for a while. Right. And then also Blaine used to mm -hmm. go and play with us. So I would have a group between, I don't know, average four to seven or eight even. And we played we played for four hours usually. We'd get there around 11 and end around 3, maybe a little bit sooner. And that was fun. I mean, I, I really enjoyed that time. And I didn't really realize how, how I, I don't want to use this word precious, but it was pretty cool because it was kind of like when I was playing as a kid, we'd play every other Saturday. And in this case, we played every other Sunday because we always wanted another Sunday to be free. But it was like clockwork we always showed up and it was kind of an not an incentive i guess it was an incentive for me to make sure that i went because it was on this schedule at this game store and it made us like it was like an event right like getting ready to go to legends to go play a game and stuff like that so and the boys developed their their <laughs> slurpy habits there then because <laughs> they had to have certain you know then they got certain things Snacks. to get ready to go and got everything ready right and they still do it they so. still do it <clears throat> so mike was asking my friend was asking about why do people pay how much i would charge how much i would pay and the only time and he really had a and I, I think I had that same hurdle. I go, why would people pay to play, right? Because most of the time you're just playing with your friends. And the only thing I could come up with is like this gentleman who in 2006, he's an IT professional. Obviously, he, means, he makes a lot of money. And instead of buying a yacht or whatever, they 
people who make a lot of money buy maybe a sailboat because the yachts are really expensive. They they really like playing D and D and they want to play as a group, and and that's different than one of you GMing because I think feel- that, that I think when he said that. I hadn't thought about it before, but obviously he was saying that they they're professionals, so they don't have enough time to get the game together. For oh, I didn't think other. about that. Or so, or or they just want to do it as an entertainment thing where someone else is doing it, doing right. all the. Pre- That's how I took it. Yeah, but you're right. If they're think, if they're thinking that the person's going to spend a part time job worth of time, they can't do that. Right. That's not the experience they want. One of their friends tossing the game together. Yeah. So I could see them. Pain maybe somebody. they tried and and yeah maybe and, and and whoever was GM GMing couldn't do it because he had too much stuff to do or right. whatever. I think the a lot another thing is that they wanted to play all play together. That's yeah. the only thing I can think of. Like if my friend uh, Mike and Felipe, my brother, and whoever was playing in our games, we all go well. Let's play a game together, and that's kind of the experience we get at a con. Well, we we've done that like with with the Pathfinder Society. Yes. Um. Or or. Adventures League. Adventure, Adventures League. We did that at um, Pacificon. Well, there were what, like six of us, and and, we and we, we've talked we talked about it before, but we kind of I don't know. We startled the GM because yes, we they, they were a that. bunch of crazy people. The well, crazy I've always GM. wanted to do that, right? And then and then at Pacificon, I thought because it's it's kind of a lower attending con, the lower attendance con. I think it'd be it was easier, but. They have games on demand, right? Basically, they have uh, what is it, uh, beginners games or whatever, yeah. where you just they have pre-made or pre-generated. And I don't papers. think they they don't pay those people. Those people are volunteers that run they're those games. But they're already the games are everything is already there, so they just have to read it. They might get credit within the system yeah. for for running games, or they just like running games. But I'm I'm saying they're not like it's not like they bring their own no. figures and all that kind of well, stuff. They might. Some of them might. The guy that we played that didn't. Well, he was. I think it was brand new. Yeah, or pretty close to. So I think that was a pretty cool experience of us all just going and playing, and I I really like that. Well, I could see that if there was like somewhere a game store where everybody wanted to play a game and nobody wanted to run it, and it was right. available, and they say, "Oh, we charge twenty dollars a person," and oh, okay, we're we're whatever. Here you go, and then. But I don't know that that any of us would expect have a lot of expectations about what the game would would be because we've played in so many different games with different GMs that you never know what's going to happen, right? You're not going to expect for this amount of money. I expect this game to give me this much enjoyment. That's funny because I just just last night I was uh uh chatting on online with with my friend Shannon and I don't know where, where it came, why it came up, but he was he asked Oh, it was for a topic for one of us to talk about. And he said, why do players blame the GM if they have a bad game? And I think the, his idea was, well, it's not all the, on the GM's shoulders. It shouldn't be. be on, and people, a lot of people think it is, right? If they have a bad game, they blame the GM instead of blaming their fellow players. And I go, well, I think it was in a bad mood because he kept saying stuff. <laughs> So <laughs> anyway, he, but maybe it wasn't a bad one, but he was just like, he goes, well, kept like counter. And like, I would say something and he would counter, but, but the main just would just was, and I kind of agree, right? Players have a big role in, in how the game plays out. 
we were talking when we were talking to Sean Nittner, he said you could have a master class GM and still have a bad game. Yeah. Because the players either they don't gel well together or whatever, and a lot of it is on the, a lot of the onus or a lot of the work or a lot of the fun is based on how well the players play together and how f- they move the game forward. Now, some games are very player, what do you call it? Driven. Driven, right. A lot of rules-like games are out there, mm-hmm. almost GM-less games out there, or rules RPGs that where the players have a lot of agency. And the GM is almost more of a facilitator than the old classic GM making rules well there's still rules not making rules but making decisions and stuff like that and presenting things the the players come up with their own like what they are going to do or what they're going to come up against and stuff like that so shannon was saying that players shouldn't blame the gm right i i agree with that i agree with that because it's like when augustine was going to school when he was little i always used to tell him you're in charge of how your day is going to go, no matter what the other people are doing, right? You choose to have a good time. And I think that, and I found that in, in all games that I've played, right? Like if I'm in a bad mood going into the game or I've had a bad day or I have a headache, it's never as fun as if I like just buy into whatever's happening. Yes, I'm in a tavern. Yes, I meet these people and go, right? Right. Versus our oh yeah, there's a giant purple monster over there that I don't want to see because I'm going to go crazy or, you know, that kind of thing, right? It's up to you to to bring your best to the table, right? Versus right. you can't just expect the GM to do it. Right. And there's GMs that you like, GMs that you don't like, GMs you that run a game a certain way. All Every GM that you play with is going to be different, right? There's the the GM that gives you just says, okay, what are you guys doing? And everybody kind of has to come up with it on their own, which is sometimes hard at the beginning. Or there's the person that gives you the scenario. This is what's happening. And now tell right, me what you're going to do. Right, literally throws it in your lap, yeah. right? This is, uh, you guys go to the tavern, there's a a billboard, adventures needed. You know, vada-ving, vada-boom. You're on an adventure where other player, other GMs would say, all right, uh, who are you? What are you doing? In Introduce yourselves, right? How do you know each other? Yeah. And yeah. And, and I, there's I, that moment of, uh, what, what are you, what are, I thought you were supposed to tell us that. <laughs> uh, that's happened before. I played it. I played and running games like that and, and ran games like that. And I think, I think you, Shannon's right. The players have a huge role in it. Uh, other times, I think that I, that where that idea comes from is like old style D and D, like dungeon cross. Right, you're gonna go dungeon to GMs in charge of the dungeon, and that kind of translates to like this every everything else, the area of the kind of adventure. Which when you say that, I'm like, there's a caller, and everybody's gonna tell them what they're gonna do. <laughs> it kind of still old like, style, right? But uh, but how many people actually played that way? Not now, well, not, in the last now years. They, no, but well. still put that. That idea persists that the GM is in charge of the of how good the game. Well, because ultimately the G well not how good the game is, but the GM is in charge of of the deciding what the rule is. Right? If somebody goes, well, I want my yeah. character to do this, and I blah, 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 and then they go, well, and that was another thing. Not to change the subject, but that was another thing that people were talking about. If if you're paying a GM, how how is the GM gonna? do the rules 
are is a GM going to be more likely to just go with whatever the players want? Because, oh. or is he going to say, "Oh no, that's not the way that it works"? Right. Well, I think that's something that's probably covered within the session zero or the parameters of the game. Like those guys that had put the original poster of that of that 2006 post about how much should they pay a, a pay GM. They wanted their own world. They wanted a, a system that wasn't too, too like simple, but not really crunchy. And I think he talked. He said too crunchy was like hero or yes, right. Did, and, yeah. and three point five was like what he was talking about. Yeah, that level of countryness. So, so in that sense, they kind of are putting the parameters on there and the GM can work within those parameters. And I think, you know, when you are presenting a, a, a certain rule set, that's probably the kind of rules that you want to run. But of course, every, you know, everybody runs games differently. I was going to say, it's kind of a segue, but the, the whole idea of players being just as responsible as, as the GM. I remember years ago, we played in a game, I played at a con game, and it was okay. The idea was okay, right? It wasn't f- fantastic, and the and the person running was really like hands off. So I, I like halfway through, not halfway through the game, but at one point I'm like, "What are we doing? What are we supposed to do?" Right? And Jonah was in that game, and me and Jonah, we just started like, "Okay, we're just gonna do stuff, crazy stuff," right? So, because we were imprisoned, right? We're on a prison island, and so we're playing, and we're just mm-hmm. trying to do stuff, trying to get, uh, we're trying to escape, uh, we're trying to motivate other people to escape, and and it it was fun because me and Jonah made it fun, right? And not because the GM was doing stuff to make it fun, he was just presenting something, the situation, and we were just going to, it was like a sandbox, right? We just did what we wanted, or did what we wanted to try to do, and then the GM would respond to, to things, and he just kept responding because we kept throwing more stuff at him. Right. And that made it a fun <clears throat> game. And then there's some games where the GM, there's only been one that in, in my whole career, in my whole time playing at conventions, that was, the game was just there was nothing there, and it was like even though the players wanted to do stuff and uh, interact with each other and do things, it was very hard because the GM was just not prepared. And so, when we would want to do stuff and he didn't had hadn't prepared very much, he kept shooting us down. So it was like, okay, we can't do that. Okay, we can't do that. So, in that sense, the GM was totally responsible for the level of play at the at the at the table and then in, a, in another sense the players were able to in another game the players were able to just do stuff because the gm wasn't just giving us a lot of stuff to do well that has a different that's the difference between gming styles right that is some gms have things set set ideas about what's going to happen versus sandbox games where the player does whatever they want or and there's the gm in between who has idea about what's going to happen but then if the players come up with a different idea okay we'll go that way right and they're flexible and that kind of thing right so the original question was does that change if you get paid or not paid does it change the way you run the game i don't know maybe they prepare more for it i think the the closest i can think of is me running games at a home and uh, with my friends uh, i guess versus a home. convention versus a convention 
Now, does that mean I shortchange? Because I'm going to say I work a lot for the game with uh, for the con games, simply because I feel a little bit extra responsibility for to try and present the best game that I can do because I'm at a convention. What about when you run a game for like Stanford Group? Do you do you do more prep for it? I'm gonna I'm I'm asking because the last game that you ran was a Conan game, right? And um, we've all played. I think everybody but Cowie had played in Conan games before. Yeah, maybe Morgan Morgan had played. I, I think so. Okay, I don't know. Yeah, well, but see, but you're pl- when you're talking about Morgan and Bay and Shannon, they they play a lot of games. So whatever game it is, they're gonna bring their 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 best to it, right? Right. right. <laughs> Same with Cowie. So anyway, about so, Conan. But were you? Were you like, do you prepare for that kind of game like you do for a convention game because you're, or because it's more, a little bit more casual because you know all the people and you know, you kind of know what the players like and what they're going to do. Because I know for home games, you can present any scenario and they're going to have fun, right? The, right. You're talking about the, like Stephen Cathy kids. and the kids. Yeah. 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 They're going to have fun. Whatever you give to them, they'll take the game in any way you want or any way they want. And you'll just try to corral them back into, okay, so They're that's evil, all. Please. Yes. Yes. And, and and they don't, they like just a good old, good yeah. old time type yeah. rock and roll. Whatever it is. Yes. Whatever the mission is, they're, they're down with it. Okay. So the Conan game, I wanted to run a game that was very Conan-ish. Yes. Because we had just read. We're in the middle of reading Robert E. Howard. Well, in the middle. We're not in the middle because there's a lot of crap out there. Well, a lot of original stories of Conan. And I didn't mean that in a bad way. There's a lot of a lot of stories, right? Right. He really was a prolific writer. So we, we a while ago, we were doing, uh, we were reading as a group. We still we what still are. We just haven't done it. A, re, uh, a book club. A book club about about Robert D. Howard's Conan stories. And we're reading them in in time chronological order, not in the publication order. And Conan's age versus the way that they yeah, were. Because yeah. Robert E. Howard would jump around and yes. and wrote stories. And so we wanted to read them in chronological order from like the first tales of Conan when he was young and then progressed until he's much older. With that in my mind and the fact that I had never read Conan before, now that I had this idea of how he how he was portrayed by Robert E. Howard, I have an idea of how the world is, which is pretty different than what I that I, what I perceived even just knowing about Conan from the movies, I guess. So for me, Conan, uh, Robert E. Howard's Conan is very visceral, right? You know, he's, he's it can be gory, but at the same time, it's like there's all kinds of things about the stories that are like, it's about the world, right? It's about, and then there's these tropes in them that that well, really f- come out. Yes, and nine times out of ten, <laughs> if there's a monster, it's going to be shaped like an ape. I'm just telling you right now. <laughs> yeah, Robert <laughs> Howard has this thing about apes, right? There's yeah, fantastical apes, like king, king of the apes. Yes, yeah. So it was pretty neat. There's no ape in in my no uh, in my story, uh, but the, the stories were very interesting in the in this in the sense that. Just anything could happen, right? right? And and I was just like, there was a couple stories where Conan pairs up with a guy, and or a, another, a, master a fellow thief. adventurer, yeah. and you know, and he talks up this this person as being the master thief, 
and you really kind of get attached to him and whap kills the guy or kills the the fellow adventurer and sometimes he meets up like on a on a on a on a on an adventure in the middle of the adventure or something at the beginning whatever so it was a very deadly world it was very uh over the top too at the same time Robert E. Howard wrote in the and 20s. this helped you to prepare the Conan game and I wanted to present that type that of game at when I ran the game and I don't know if I did or not did a good job with that or not another thing I did was I used a adventure from a book mm-hmm. a published adventure and I have always have problems with published adventures because I want to read them I want to make sure I get everything right and then like even then I'm like what? did I get everything right so I must have read that adventure like four or five times the but the players thing. aren't always going to do what the published adventure thinks they're going right. to do. Right, and that's another thing. Uh, pretty much, uh, you guys didn't go off the rails too much or go out of what, what the parameters of what was going on in the in the in the in the book in the published adventure. So it was it worked out pretty well. So so was it? Back to my question. Oh. You, so you didn't prepare for it as much as you do like a convention game. So if someone was, if your friends are paying you to play a game. But your friends want to pay you to right. play a game, right? So right. if somebody's paying you to play a game, I probably are you going to prepare Yeah, I'll it? probably devote more time. I think another thing is they kind of snuck up on me. Everything sneaks up on you, babe. <laughs> uh, yes. So I I think I, I perceive the idea that I'm presenting a game when I'm being paid sort of by the convention to put on a game. Because usually if you run a game at a, at a local convention here in the Bay Area, they will uh, waive the fee for the convention. If you have a certain amount of people at your table for a certain amount of hours. Right. So yeah. Because yeah, they, have, they, they, in if, a way, they are paying you because t- that's like $60, right? Or $80 yeah, or whatever. whatever it is. But that's they fine. also want you to run the game for six to eight hours with a certain number of people. So they're calculating into it the amount of their ticket right right so you are kind of getting paid for it right. in a way so so you probably do below, get you, you do really prep for it right probably below minimum wage but yes <laughs> it doesn't matter i mean right it's not it doesn't matter at all it doesn't matter at all so i think it's pretty neat uh that is the kind of that's kind of sits on my shoulders the idea that i'm being paid so, but does that mean i'm shortchanged my player home game because at, at times in fact, I was just in a game where this GM was playtesting for a game that he's going to run at Gen Con. Yeah. And another uh, Gen Con games run four hours. They have four-hour slots. You did. You do playtest games. Yeah. You, you playtested uh, Blade Runner with me and Felipe and Mike. Right. And I think by doing that playtest, it probably made your game at the convention a lot better. Well, I changed it. I, right. I didn't like the adventure. You like seeing the way that it ran with us, right? And changed the way that you did it, right? Right. I had I, I felt that I had to change it. There was only three players, but I thought it was uh, it just didn't have enough player. I'm not player. It didn't have enough blader Blade Runner esque. Yeah. Uh, which is choices which is, which Blade Runner choices are not what you want to do. I'm just saying they're they're, they're gut wrenching choices. And that's what I wanted. And the and the and the adventure in the book that that's called Electric Sheep, it just didn't have it for me. And now I've I've heard people have run that adventure. Uh, the people pay, posted on Facebook and other venues or 
social media, and they have a, a great time, right? And there's no doubt about it. But I one, I needed an adventure that was within six hours. Mm-hmm. That adventure runs a little bit longer because yeah. it's it's a it's a long adventure, and it's part of a Kickstarter, so yeah. they want to give you a good meat meaty adventure. Uh, so I had to shorten it, and when I and I was, the, the idea of shortening it, I was like, I didn't like the way it was going to work. Right. So I go, I'm just going to rewrite the adventure. I'm going to use the props. I'm going to use some of the props. I'm going to use some of the stuff. And it worked out really good. It has worked out really good. I've run it twice. A lot of people do play test their games. They're going to run at conventions. Right. So that that's what happened. I, I was playing in the game, and this person wanted to run in a four-hour slot. It took us eight hours of playing online to run the game or to, to play, not, the game play the game and not even finish it because right. we kind of had to rush the, you know, ep- the epilogue hit yeah. you know, the, and then have the players say what happened. So I think for most people, if they're getting paid to run a game, it's going to change the way they run the game. The amount of, of, of time and prep they put into right. it, right? Because they want to be special. And I've done that before at, at conventions where... Remember? Every game you run at conventions, you go all out. I, well, pictures of the characters, pre-made characters, or for Tales of the Loop, character sheets for people to make their characters and giving them pictures of a bunch of choices, right? Right. Yeah. I think the the most work I did was probably Tecamel. Oh, because that. that's a that's a very very complicated game to do. Well, it's complicated. The world is complicated. Not the the, the rules were complicated. I burned my hand for that game. <laughs> so there was yeah. So it was very interesting. I think the the what is it the props that I made for yeah. that game really kind of like it just got them concentrated on what was going on. In the well, game. in that game, the props were were very important to it because it was the kind of world it was. Very very, what do you want to call it? What what is that word? B- Byzantium. <laughs> yeah, very, uh, you, there very, was a lot of bureaucracy. Very palatial, like palace bureaucracy. Yeah, yeah right? exactly. Different kinds of uh, and a lot of things secrets. about honor and yeah. and your place in society. It was a, a medieval game set on a different world, right? Right, right. And and yeah, and it was very it's a very interesting world. Anyway, so I've done that kind of stuff, and then those tales of the loop. All I did was. Of course, character sheets, but then I just made, I printed out a bunch of uh, actors from the 80s, child yeah. actors or kids' actors. You know, you got Winona Ryder, yeah, yeah, you yeah. got uh, Tom Bridges, and all these people from the 80s. So, some of you may not have a clue as to who I'm talking about. <laughs> Which some of his players had no idea who they were, except their dads did and were laughing. Yeah. It was, that was a really interesting dichotomy between people who are really young and people who are a little oh, bit older. Yeah. Their parents. So, I guess it does change. For me, it does. The preparation that you do for the game. Now, according to all the people that I read on the inner tubes, some people like that. Some people don't like it. There's a lot of... I, I don't like the idea that you go if you're paying somebody to run a game, your expectation is that they have to entertain you. Right. I find that... I would go with... with uh, you should also bring your best to the game, right? Right. right. And I think Shannon, that's what Shannon was saying, is that is that players have... Probably a bigger role whether they're going to have a good time or not. Well, yeah, I totally right. agree. Okay, yeah, we're in agreement there. So if you if you run a game, I think most likely if you are getting paid, it changes the way you're going to run the game. For me, that's the way I feel because I there's this added thing about responsibility for right. And if I was getting paid like twenty dollars an hour, I can't even imagine I'd be a nervous wreck. 
because I would like really take responsibility for running a good game, or at least presenting the, the best game that I could, especially if people were paying me a decent amount of money f- to put that on. But I know I've seen, I've, I've gone, uh, we do did research about being a paid GM a while ago, and there was these like, ca- there was this cafe in New York, and, and my friend Mike Walt, he said, well, it's in Manhattan, which I guess. That's the more posh part, right? Right. So people make a lot of money if they have to live in Manhattan or or in Manhattan or in that area. It's not like other people don't come from other boroughs into Manhattan. Yeah, that's just, yeah, but they don't live in Manhattan, right? Usually. Oh, it's very expensive to live there. And this this cafe is in Manhattan and they charge like $300 a night for like a 4-hour session or a 5-hour session. Wow. At the cafe. Right? And that's their like starting and you know you get a private room, of course, right? But I thought it was like four hundred dollars a game. I'm like, I don't think it was per person though. But maybe I'm wrong. Anyway, I thought it was like wow. And then like that guy, he goes, one person said, oh, "I charge fifty dollars an hour per person." I go, "Wow, you can make good money for a weekend." <laughs> anyway, I think it does change because it, it does for me in my brain. It changes the what expectations are. So that's it. I think uh, there's a lot of things that go into what changes the way you run a game when you are a GM. And definitely being paid kind of changes the expectations. There you go. This is Gaming Perspectives with Saul and Jolene. And you have a good day.